Welcome to Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news, tips, and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts, what, what, who've made this <laughs> podcast possible. They're makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom-stable scleral lens. In case you're wondering, I'm on the East Coast. My name is Dr. James Diem, and I'm joined by my talented co-host, repping the West Coast, Dr. Roya Habibi. What is up, Roya? It's the week of Hallow's Eve. There you go. Everyone's watched Hogus Pogus. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. And all of the above, it's a really scary time. Slash next week is even scarier. But we won't go into that. This ain't no political podcast, okay? That's right. Okay, let's not go there. <laughs> we will We will do a little bit of politicking, however, uh, trying to always stay above board and uh, just, you know, bring political information to you, not to influence you, but to bring it to you regarding our profession. Yes, our profession. Should we, so call, today, we call ourselves BBC or like Al Jazeera or something? We're somewhere like. in the middle, yeah. Right. So, <laughs> you know, so we, we got, um, I actually got this email a few months ago, I want to say, from a colleague, an ophthalmological colleague. And I thought it would be, you know, well, it was just kind of good timing that this today, we are going to have a, a real special guest who bridges the eye care divide. And, and so just kind of serendipity that we also, I also got this email again from a ophthalmological colleague of mine, kind of keeps me up to date on what's going on in the American Academy of Ophthalmology. And so you may know, and I brought it up here before, that the American Academy of Ophthalmology does not allow optometrists to attend their meeting or um, have any form of, of membership. And so they did put out a survey to their entire membership a few months back, looking to gauge the interest of changing that. And so the results of that survey uh, came out. And so I just want to read a couple excerpts from the email that was sent out to the entire membership of the American Academy of Ophthalmology. So, so uh, optometry, it's a policy statement. Optometry and the American Academy of Ophthalmology. The professions of ophthalmology and optometry deliver the vast majority of eye care in the United States. While separate disciplines, members of the two professions frequently work together in the same practice or same clinical department or unit. Ophthalmologists are medical doctors by training, and they all complete medical school and residencies for a combined minimum of eight years in duration. In addition, most now also complete full-time clinical fellowship programs or of between one and three years in duration. Uh, I work with two ophthalmologists that have not done fellowships, um, but most do. It says, current training in optometry involves four years of optometry school and some graduates complete one additional year of postgraduate training, which we call residencies. Ophthalmologists earn licenses to practice medicine and surgery. The general, they generally restrict their practice to the eye and some specialize in the surrounding eyelids, orbit, and mid-face. 
Many choose to restrict their practice scope further, depending on professional interest and training. Optometrists' practice scope varies by state regulations and regard to therapy, but generally involves eye examination and care of a limited range of less severe eye conditions, not requiring systemic therapy or surgery. Ophthalmology and optometry have been in conflict for generations over scope of practice. Ophthalmologists characterize their objection to optometric expanded scope of practice as one of patient safety and quality of care, wherein scope of practice should be determined by training and evidence-based competence analytics. Optometrists <laughs> characterize their training as appropriate to clinical needs and ophthalmological opposition as a quote-unquote turf war. Regardless of their scope of practice battles, the two professions overlap in many areas. They provide general care and provide glasses and contacts. They see many of the same patients with some of the same diseases. They confront some of the same public health problems. They find themselves on the same didactic educational programs, although teaching different things, of course. They collaborate on funded research and about half of all ophthalmologists work in practices that employ optometrists. Wow. Surveys indicate that ophthalmologists welcome this collaboration as it permits them to focus on more severe clinical problems. Surveys also indicate that working with an ophthalmologist is a professionally and economically rewarding career path popular with many young optometrists. It is a common aphorism among ophthalmologists that I work collaboratively and collegially with optometrists in my community in patient care, but not at the state and national level when it comes to scope of practice issues. Many optometrists feel similarly. The mission statement of the American Academy of Ophthalmology reads, the mission of the American Academy of Ophthalmology is to protect sight and empower lives by serving as an advocate for patients and the public, leading ophthalmic education and advancing the profession of ophthalmology. In the pursuance of this mission, the Academy has worked with the profession of optometry in a number of areas, including public health initiatives, National Eye Institute support, federal professional payment policy and patient benefit structures, USF food and drug administration regulations, and many others. It has also opposed some optometric initiatives, particularly pertaining to scope of practice. Over the past decade, the Academy and its principal national counterpart optometric organization, the American Academy of Optometry, have intentionally developed relationships at the leadership level intended to serve patients in areas of common ground. They've included joint symposia by a combined ophthalmologic optometric faculty at each other's annual meetings and periodic leadership meetings. The societies and the representatives have worked together on policy statements, clinical guidelines, and on quality care, care initiatives. In 2018, spurred in part by growing evidence of member interest and by evolving national health policy, the American Academy of Ophthalmology Board of Trustees began a focused study of interprofessional relationship, consistent with its mission to lead the profession and advocate for, for patients. The American Board of Trustees began exploring potential and other relationships between optometrists and the academy that might advance patient care without compromising professional principles. After considerable study among selected committees and the Board of Trustees, two questions emerged. Should the annual meeting of the American Academy of Ophthalmology be open to a greater subset, or all, of optometry? And number two, should the American Academy of Ophthalmology consider establishing a membership opportunity, quote-unquote, affiliate class or optometric organization under the academy organization, especially for optometrists who work in practices with ophthalmologists? 
Beginning in early spring 2019, discussions of these two concepts was extended to the General Academy membership. Over the ensuing eight months, there were numerous meetings, webinars, online chat forums, and web posts pertaining to the subject. The issues were considered at local, state, regional, and national levels. In, 2000, in January 2020, for the first time in the history of the Academy, the entire membership was surveyed on a policy issue of professional importance. The survey process was conducted by an independent third party, and the survey instrument was primarily focused to address the two questions of annual meeting and membership options. Over 200,000 surveys were distributed electronically to the U.S. Academy members and members in training with a resultant 18% participation rate. The statistical confidence interval was 95%, plus or minus 1.5%. Survey responses were analyzed to be representative with regard to many important factors, including age, length of practice, gender, practice type, Tell and us focus, the results. Geography, and optometrist. No, oh, my God. <laughs> The top line survey results were as follows. With regard to attendance at the Academy's annual meeting, a preponderance, a preponderance of members felt that the annual meeting should remain principally a meeting of ophthalmologists and not be open generally to optometrists, 58%. 33% felt optometrists should be able to attend, and the remainder were undecided. Number two. Considerable heterogeneity in opinion was manifested with regard to optometrist inclusion in the academy in a category of membership about one-third favored no inclusion, one-third favored inclusion in a separate sub-organization. About 20% were open to inclusion with the general membership and 15% didn't care. They were undecided. So the bottom line is still can't get in. <laughs> still, still, you know, not able to go to the meeting still, you know, not, you know, and at the end of the day, I'm not hurt by this, you know, but I think it's just, you know, quite sad that that's, uh, that's, the, you know, out of that long, you know, discussion about, you know, how we could work together and how we do work together and how, you know, at, at the end of the day, we need one another for, you know, the improvement of public health. Um, that, you know, we're, we're really debating over whether or not we could go to the same meeting and, and get access to education, right? Just seems crazy to me. But, you know, that's a real thing. That's a real email. It's public knowledge. It's a, a joint, it's a statement, a, a policy statement approved by the Board of Trustees September 28th, 2020. So, you know, I thought it would be <clears throat> appropriate to bring on uh, someone who can really speak to bridging this divide that is often, too often, called a turf war. So, let's do it. So, I am super excited. We have a absolute eye care titan here with us tonight. Dare I say icon? Uh, even icon, yes. Icon. Yes, iconic. <laughs> We can go on and on. And so um, we have none other than Dr. Rich Richard. Is, do you go by Rich or Richard? Rich. I, I okay, go by Rich. Rich. Or at least that's what, that's what I, the icon that's goes right. by. Yeah, the icon. I love it. He's embracing it. I love it. He's very... E-Y-E. Oh. E he, he went there, guys. He went there. He's, he's funny and humble. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dr. Rich Castillo from the great state of Oklahoma. And uh, you guys have probably heard about him because he has really spearheaded the uh, evolution of optometric care as we 
know it and and i care in general uh in, in this country and uh to that we are very very grateful and really loving to see all the wonderful things that he's doing recently we spoke a little bit about a association that i actually just kind of stumbled upon i i got an email from luminous uh talking about a sponsored webinar that they were going to be holding on injections and uh, you know we were working very hard to uh you know be able to offer that level of care to our patients here in, in pennsylvania and uh, so when i saw that i was like wow that's great you know somebody's talking about this or educating one another about it and you know we're, we're doing it the right way and and i immediately signed up for that that webinar I listened to it and then I learned about this new society, the American Society of Optometric Surgeons. Very, very interesting. I'm, I'm like, am I even allowed to say that out loud? <laughs> and um, yeah, and then I went to their <laughs> website, I signed up and I got you know super excited. I happened to know someone that knew uh, Dr. Castillo and I, I said, you guys gotta, can you please connect me with this guy? I've been kind of like stalking him, you know, quietly in the in the shadows for years. And I was hoping I'd run into him somehow and uh, immediately got an email back from him. And uh, here we are. So thank you so much for joining us tonight, Dr. Castillo. Uh, what's going on in Oklahoma? It is my pleasure. Uh, well, we are we are surviving uh, the apocalypse <laughs> like everyone else. Um, we are actually trying to stay uh, as as uh, normal or, or function, uh, you know, under the guise of normality as, mm -hmm. as best okay. we can. Um, you know, we have an advantage in that uh, we're here in, in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Tahlequah, Oklahoma is, a, you know, a thriving metropolis somewhere between Tulsa and <laughs> Fort Smith, Arkansas. Should I laugh at that or not? Um, and, uh, is that and a so, joke? Well, well, you can take that however you want. Um, I, I guess the point is that you know we are we are actually a small. I would consider us yeah. part of rural America, and, and as such, uh, even the, though we enjoy some of the comforts of uh, larger, uh, you know, cities, uh, we we haven't uh, fortunately you know been affected the same way some of the larger towns uh, and, and communities in the area have. So, uh, you know, we, we're, you know, we're cognizant of what's happening, uh, but, uh, you know, fortunately, we're still able to uh, function, uh, you know, maybe not 100 percent, but uh, maybe a, a little closer to what one would consider normal, you know, daily routines than, okay. say, our colleagues in Tulsa or, uh, or Fayetteville, awesome. Fort Smith, so, Arkansas. You know, I think, uh, you know, for those of you that don't know, Dr. Castillo is kind of like a unicorn. They, they do exist. There's folks out there that both hold uh, optometric doctors of optometry degrees and also um, a medical school degree, in this case, a doctor of osteopathic medicine. And, and so he went on to, to get both degrees and go on and do a residency in uh, surgical ophthalm ophthalm ophthalmological care at Oklahoma State University. Um, and you went on to be a director of, of OSU ophthalmology service and, and then went on to teach at the uh, optometric school there in Tahlequah. Is that what you're doing now? I, yes. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I want to say I fell into this. Um, you know, I was finishing my ophthalmology residency and, uh, 
you know, several in- interesting things happened in Oklahoma there towards the end of my residency. So this would have been the, the mid to late 90s. And, uh, you know, one of the things that happened was that there, there was actually an injunction against optometrists performing anterior segment laser procedures. Now, keep in mind that ODs in Oklahoma have been performing uh, lasers, and I mean anterior segment lasers, you know, what we're discussing here, uh, since the late 80s. I think it was 89. Yeah, 89 when the first procedures were performed. And uh, so here we go, around 1996-97, the political opposition gets a judge in Oklahoma to issue an injunction against ODs performing the very procedures that they've been performing, you know, for the for the better part of, of uh, hmm. the 90s. And uh, so what happened was uh, my good friend uh, at the time, uh, Dr. George Foster, who was the dean, he had just become the dean of the NSU, uh, Oklahoma College of Optometry, and he called and said, well, here's our situation. You know, the, there's been an injunction issued against uh, ODs delivering the type of care they've been delivering for uh, several, you know, years now, for, for, you know, seven, eight years. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to abide by that, obviously. But uh, in the meantime, while we get this straightened out, and they were, they were saying that uh, what optometry was going to do in Oklahoma was take it back to the legislature and... Uh, and work it out that way, which is what eventually happened. But in, in the interim, uh, I became uh, involved in uh, going to NSU and carrying on patient care. I, I was actually finishing my residency. I did have a medical license, uh, which is something very interesting. You know, when you finish medical school and your first year of internship, you are eligible to get a medical license, which which I did. And, uh, you know, that entitles you to do whatever you feel comfortable and what you're trained doing, you know. With, with, so without, uh, you know, any, any uh, sort of training, uh, you know, a DO or an MD with a, light, with a newly acquired license, legally, I guess, you know, it may be, not be a smart thing, but legally, you know, you're protected uh, and you can go forth and, and perform whatever procedures, uh, you know, you're competent at or you feel you're competent at, you know, without really any more uh, credentialing than question. that. I know this um, is taking like hand, 15 yeah. steps back from the story, but you were, just to clarify, you were an optometrist first and then decided, I want to go back, I want to get my DO, I want to do comp, I want to specialize in surgery as well is that how did that happen how when did you decide how long did you wait uh it was the experience yeah yeah well i it was the experience i had in optometry school because in in the i was in optometry school in the mid 80s and uh during that time oklahoma passed an oral therapeutics bill uh everyone at nsu was in medical management mode um the uh the Cherokee Nation, which is uh, our healthcare partner here in Oklahoma, had just uh, built a, a new facility. Uh, we actually had a very nice optometry clinic, brand new, uh, in a, a new hospital, in a brand new hospital here in town. My class was really the first class that got all its clinical experience at that facility. Now, we really didn't have to go do externships anywhere. Uh, we weren't lacking for anything. We saw the entire spectrum of eye care 
right here in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Um, the, the, the other physicians at the hospital were very welcoming to us. I, I remember that. And uh, I hit it off with several of them, including one ophthalmologist who was from New York. I'm originally, I was born in New York. Uh, my, uh, my dad uh, relocated us uh, to Tulsa, Oklahoma when I was about hmm. 13 years old. And, uh, you know, yeah. I want to say forcibly, but <laughs> no, uh, no, he, he worked for American okay. and American has a, American Airlines has a large presence in Tulsa and they relocated wow. something like 8,000 families back uh, in the, the, the mid 70s. Huh. So that's how we wound up here. But uh, that's really what piqued my interest in medicine. I mean, I had from the get go, you know, I want to be an eye doctor ever since ever since I failed my driver's license exam during, you know, driver's ed in high school. I couldn't well, read. That, I flunked the eye test. You know, the DM the DMV came over with a what what uh, I now know is a Titmus <laughs> vision tester and lined us all up. You know, we all passed our written test. They lined us up. Everybody in front of me walked up to the thing and stuck their head in the thing and read off a bunch of letters. I walked up to the thing and looked in the thing and the guy goes, "Read me the letters." And I said, "Okay." And he goes, "Read me the letters." And I said, "Okay." And he goes, "Read me the letters." And I said, "Well, I will as soon as you put some letters in there." And he handed me a note. He said, oh, "Kid, take this to your mom and dad." You know, two weeks later, so I was wearing a pair of glasses. What is your refractive error? Uh, well, it was about a minus three fifty. Uh, believe it or not, I was walking around wow. about a minus three fifty, uh, and I was a minus three fifty until I had PRK okay, cool. in nineteen ninety seven, and uh, you know, then uh, I was pseudo minus three fifty, but. Uh, no, I, I, that was how, that was what got me started, you know, uh, in, in eye care. It was actually that experience. And then the, the mentorship of my optometrist, cool. you know, from then on. Um, but, uh, so to go back to, uh, you know, 1996, 97, I became involved with, uh, the NSU program, uh, a little earlier than I thought because of this injunction. So I, it actually uh, fell to me to go to uh, Tahlequah, and I actually went to uh, some private practices and, uh, you know, kept the lasers going. And, and lo and behold, every now and then when I would show up uh, to one of these practices or to uh, the, uh, the NSU clinics, we would still have residents and we would still have students there. So education didn't stop. Um, patient care really didn't stop. It was slowed down a bit. And it took about a year, year and a half. And uh, all of a sudden, the legislators actually rewrote the law. And now optometric uh, lasers was part of the uh, statutory law in Oklahoma that defined the scope of practice in Oklahoma. So, you know, I, I joke and say, well, you know, who's responsible for lasers as, as part of the, the statutory law in Oklahoma. Well, it was the political opposition that couldn't leave well enough alone. Because that's, that's exactly how that verbiage huh. wound up in the statutes, you know, because of uh, that, uh, that confrontation uh, that occurred back in 96, 97. Um, that, I'd say, was my entry into uh, optometric education and my career as, as a university you, uh, professor. get any... Pushback when you were uh, going into medical school. In other words, you know, I'm an optometrist. You know, a doctor of optometry. I want to go and advance my, you know, uh, 
No, sir. Surprisingly, uh, no. And uh, what happened to me there, and, and that was also not not your typical experience, because I I decided you know, somewhere in my fourth year uh, of optometry school that I would like to pursue medical school. And uh, and my wife, by the way, or my future wife, we were married a year later, but the yeah. person I was going to marry. Uh, she was two years behind me in optometry school, and she pretty much had an opportunity set for her upon graduation in Tulsa. And, you know, we, we were both from the area. Our families are in the area. Uh, we wanted to stay in northeast Oklahoma. And I, you know, really wasn't going to drag her around. You know, if I wanted to go, you know, take another eight-year detour, which is what I did, uh, I wasn't about to drag her around. So it, we decided, well... It's either going to happen in Tulsa, and we had two medical schools in Tulsa at the time, or it's not going to happen. Um, I had the good fortune of uh, knowing uh, Dr. Les Walls, uh, ODMD, who was the dean or who would become the dean of NSU. He was actually my uh, pathology teacher in optometry school, and he became a mentor. And he was also at the time uh, the... uh, Family Medicine Director or Director of Family Medicine Residency for Oklahoma University uh, College of Medicine in Tulsa. And so he was very well connected. Uh, you know, he was networked with the medical schools in Tulsa, which at the time was Oklahoma State University and uh, Oral Roberts University in Tulsa. Okay. Uh, OU actually had a, a presence, but a residency presence. So, uh, you know, that really wasn't an option. So, you know, he sort of helped me maneuver the, uh, you know, the forest of uh, applying, uh, you know, the medical schools. I applied to both schools. Uh, and lo and behold, I, I got in wow. at, at these two colleges. So, it, you know, I'm like, yeah. wow, this is really working out well. Now, what was interesting was that one was an MD program. That was the ORU program. And OSU was a DO program. Now, at the time, I really did not know what a DO. I mean, a DO, it's a medical school. That's all I knew. Dr. Walls is an MD. So I went back and said, well, okay, I got a letter here. I got a letter here. Where do I go? And I felt sure that he was going to say, well, you go to the MD program. Well, he looked at me, you know, without a moment's hesitation, said, well, there's no question there. You go to OSU. And I said, Really? And I was curious. And, and, and why do you say that? I mean, you say that without a moment's hesitation. You go to OSU. And he said, well, because between you and me, the ORU program is not going to be there another year or two. And, and sure enough, uh, they apparently lost their accreditation. And we actually gained, my class, my medical school class gained about a dozen of their students. So Dr. Walls was, you know, he was networked enough and to know you know the lay of the land and uh so that that's how i wound up so, at osu that's unbelievable it's uh, absolutely and, unbelievable i i can imagine did you know well, dr well, tolan you know, things work out the way no yeah, uh, well at yeah. peace at pencil in pennsylvania no but yeah, i've he, heard a he lot was, about dr you tolan. know in a uh, lot of ways know. you know that that guy to us what you were to you know and what you are to you know nsu um you know he he wrote a lot of the prescriptions he he did you know laser procedures mm-hmm. at, you know in pennsylvania mm-hmm. uh with residents and and so forth and so uh he was an odmd as you know um so have you mm-hmm. have you had how many students over the years now 
have come to you, asked you these questions like we're asking you right now, and followed in your footsteps? Well, I won't say this is the first time I've heard. <laughs> um, there have been, well, there have been a lot yeah. that have asked questions. Just curious, you know, how, how did, uh, how would you compare medical school to optometry school? You know, what was the experience there versus the experience here? You know, th those type questions. Um, you know, did, did they, did they uh, you know, cut you any slack in medical school? Did you get that, uh, you know, clep out or however you want to say it? Did you get to... Uh, did you get credit for any courses? You know, th those kind of, of questions. Um, there have been two or three uh, that come to mind that actually have gone, into medical, gone on to medical school themselves and, uh, uh, you know, have become very successful in their own right. Uh, not all of them yeah. actually have gone into ophthalmology. Some of them have gone into other fields, uh, internal medicine, geriatrics, you know, do, that, that comes to mind. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that, that's a question that I, I would say several times a year, especially from the new class, you know, as I'm getting to know the new students and, and the new resident class in, in particular, um, that so, almost always comes up. You know, how did you wind up yeah, along yeah, the path it's, it's that very interesting. <laughs> you so find let's yourself? let's fast forward to now. You know, you've, you've obviously had, uh, you know, very, very... Uh, interesting path, right? And and maybe right place, right time. I don't know, but obviously you were the right person for the job. But now here you are, and you know the scope of optometric care is changing. The landscape is changing, you know, because of public health needs and uh, access to care, and uh, you know some other uh, uh, factors that are at play. And so we have, you know, Oklahoma that's really led the way with advancing, you know, to offer these uh, procedures and treatments to, you know, again, improve access to care. Uh, and, and, you know, several other states, Kentucky, Louisiana, Alaska, uh, now Arkansas recently. Uh, yeah, Arkansas, Ar Arkansas recently just right, got uh, right. their, their bill passed and uh, they just shot down um, a yeah, yeah. They, they so cleared they, another hurdle. I, I, yes, you're, uh, you yes. know it, and I'm, I'm, I love hearing <laughs> that that you're, you're right on, on the edge of all that stuff. So, you know, you've kind of created this uh, traveling, I, and I say this funny, but you know, kind of what it is—a little road show to help, uh, you know, traveling road show taking, you know, the the Oklahoma way. We have, we have, yeah. Is that right? It that like show. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I, I will tell you that is one of the most uh, satisfying things that, that I, I think I've been involved in over the you know, course of the last 20 years. You know, that, that actually started the first one of those, uh, if you'd call them optometric, you know, surgery, optometric laser and, and yeah. surgery uh, CE events uh, occurred in the mid 90s. I remember as a Again, as a maybe a first year uh, ophthalmology resident going to NSU and giving some talks on what I was learning and what I was doing at the time, and uh, you know from there, uh, you know the the NSU, you know we call it the NSU Advanced Procedures Course, you know evolved. Uh, I, I would say it's probably the late nineties when it started to take shape and, and form, uh, you know, to where it'd be something that you would recognize uh, similar to what we do right now. Um, but, uh, you know, the interest was always there, I think. Even, even in my class, uh, optometry class, back in the 80s, 
And and to me, you know, this there's been this undercurrent uh, in the profession that uh, is now really coming to the surface, and and you see excitement everywhere. You know, I can tell you, with that uh, little road show that we have, we <laughs> have never been busier than we have been these yeah. past five five years. Um, you know, some years, you know, we, and generally speaking, you know, we, uh, we wait till we're invited, yeah. you know, by a state association or another school. And, uh, you know, there have been, uh, you know, very few months, uh, you know, up until recent times here, very few months where, uh, you know, I've been able to tell my wife, yeah. hey, honey, I don't have to yeah. go anywhere this yeah. month, you know, <laughs> Um, I, I've, I've earned a lot yeah. of uh, air miles <laughs> over the past five years uh, just doing that. And now, you know, I'm always interested and, and uh, happy to do CE uh, aside from that uh, you know, on my own. But even then, you know, when somebody calls me, it's, you know, can you talk about surgery? Can you talk about office surgery? Can you talk about lasers? You know, and I'll respond, well, sure, I, uh, and I'm happy to talk about other things. I, I can talk about uveitis. I can talk about glaucoma. You know, there's we don't other... want to know about No, that. no, no, no. <laughs> we want you to talk about lasers and surgery. So, I, I think it's wonderful, so, and, and I want yeah, to there's, there's, say thank you, you yes, know, for no, all the hard work you're it, doing. It has been incredibly right. satisfying, uh, you know, to me to be able to, uh, you know, participate awesome. in that. And, uh, and I'll be the first to say that, uh, you know, a, a guy like Rich Castillo really wouldn't exist were it not for the people, you know, the ODs, the state associations, you know, back in the 80s, the, the early 90s that saw this as something that optometry, you know, needed to own, uh, you know, Primary care, as as technology evolves, as the knowledge base evolves, procedures you know and services that were once considered tertiary care that were performed in in ORs you know with big expensive gadgets, you know a lot of that has now transitioned into the office. And if it's part of the you know if it's part of office care, it's primary care. If it's primary care, it's it's part of what I love that, does. and I agree with that. But and, I want to uh, know- challenge you on something real quick, and just hear what you have to say. So uh-huh. here you are. You got the road show going. You are you know changing uh, people's mindsets on on this, and and we're with you a hundred percent. And you know our patients are with you a hundred percent. I think when they really understand you know the the reality, the truth of you know these these this type of care this you know laser care surgical you know uh care that that occurs in the office um what about the other folks you know and and there are other folks you know both optometrists doctors of optometry uh medical professionals in other fields and in ophthalmology that would challenge you uh, on on some of the premises of what we're discussing tonight, as well as on on you doing this. So I, I saw you know on your your um, website you know for NSU, you are a member of the American Academy of, of Ophthalmology uh, and and uh, the American uh, Osteopathic mm-hmm. um, Association. So tell me about that. Has anybody ever been like, yo, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> Cut that out. Well. You know, I, I can say, yeah, yeah, no. Um, 
you know, in, in, informally with some of my colleagues, you know, we, we have interesting discussions. Uh, you know, I'm talking about uh-huh. my, you know, ophthalmology colleagues. Um, you know, here in Oklahoma, we're a small enough group, uh, you know, really we all rely on each other. And, you know, statewide na- national politics really take a back seat day to day. So, you know, that's never been something that I've lost a whole lot of sleep over. Uh, you know, so you just, just kind of stay out of going it. about my, my daily routine. Ish. Well, you know, I, I sometimes, uh, you know, I don't stay out of it. <laughs> you know, you can yeah. ask Arkansas. <laughs> I've made several, several trips to uh, Little Rock, uh, even in the it. pandemic. Um, no, but, but uh, you know, when you get, it, it's interesting because at the local level, it, it's never really a problem or an issue with right. anyone, you know, because we're, we're, we're going about our, our business. We're taking care of patients. You know, we have to work together. We rely on each other. I'm talking both, you know, optometry and ophthalmology. That sort of thing, honestly, really never comes up. It comes up at the national level. You know, when you get to the, to the you know, state association uh, platform and the national platform, and uh, you know, you know, you're you're arguing more politics than patient care. Uh, that's when it's become an issue. Um, I, I can I can tell you though that uh, I have never encountered uh, anyone in medicine being rude to me directly. You know, I have never uh, you know encountered anyone, for example, refusing to work with me, you know, to take care of my patients, to accept referrals or, or, or send me referrals. Um, you know, I, I think that there is a, uh, you know, a, a professional uh, line that uh, we understand we won't cross with regards to patient care. Uh, you know, when it comes, though, uh, you know, to advocating for uh, a, a particular profession's politics, um, well, then it, yeah, then it well, does get a little dicey. I'm glad to hear that there's dicey. still some professionalism um, in this world, and I'm glad to hear that people uh, treat you with the, the yes. kindness and respect that you deserve, and certainly we are grateful. Yes, now, you know, what, what someone may say <laughs> behind your back, I only I don't hear know. good things, Dr. Casillo. <laughs> yeah, at least, uh, yeah, at least to my face directly, um, you know, all, all interactions, even even the ones that you would think are a little uncomfortable. You know, when, when I go to testify, you know, I, I've, I've testified at Senate hearings. I've testified at House hearings. I've talked to, uh, you know, legislators directly one on one. I've been on on conference calls, you know, w- with uh, in fact, you know, a couple of years ago, I was on a call. This was uh, regarding an attempt in Illinois to push uh, the envelope there. And I was on the same call as the president of the American Academy of Ophthalmology, you know, who at the time was actually from Oklahoma. Um, and, uh, you know, and yet, uh, you know, the, the conversations are, are kept cordial and professional. And, and I would have to say that about, uh, you know, ophthalmology or political ophthalmology, that, uh, you know, th- those type of... Uh, uh, conversations, uh, you know, regardless of what your stance and what your views are, uh, are kept at a, at a very professional level. I mean, I, I will, I'll be the first to say, you know, my perspective comes from actually living this life. You know, I went through optometry school. Uh, I went through medical school. Uh, you know, I practice in a rural community. I practice in an environment where, you know, even if there were another two or three ophthalmologists, you know, we, we have to rely 
on the network of ODs that we have scattered throughout Northeast Oklahoma. There is no way that one or two ophthalmologists or even maybe three or four or five could render care to the number of people given the volume and given the distances that uh, I mean, one you know, perspective, though, here. on that same note, and, uh, you're saying this, of course, you've lived this, this is your perspective, but do you think that's a reason to fight for being able to do it? For, I'm in Seattle, Washington. I have more ophthalmologists. Uh, I work mm-hmm. in a group of ophthalmologists, so more than I could count on all fingers and right. toes. you got like 50 of them in your office. Exactly. <laughs> 16, <laughs> but close. <laughs> but like, is, is accessibility the old, biggest the biggest reason to push for it i don't know it is a reason and in, in some parts of the world like where we are it is a significant reason you know it, it really doesn't matter if there's a if there's an opto or an ophthalmologist you know 30 or 45 minutes away if your patient <laughs> has no transportation you know if your patient can't get there if they're disabled you know um so we, we know we do have an accessibility problem now whether or not that's the only reason um, I can tell you again uh, from my perspective of, of doing and seeing and working very closely with optometry um, these procedures that uh, you know these status the state associations are advancing are procedures that are taught in colleges uh, that are ex- you know that uh, our, our graduates and our residents have firsthand experience with and that you know, are, are doing as well as anyone. Um, you know, I, I, and I can say that again from actual experience. You know, my, my perspective doesn't come from sitting around the association's corporate table and saying this right. is the way the world has to be. You know, my perspective comes from I work this life every day and I know who I, who I, re, who I can rely on, who I have to rely on. I know how well, uh, you know, interaction between professionals can be when, uh, you know, you take the politics out of it. And and I know that our system here, which can be somewhat convoluted, um, works very well because, you know, there there are no, uh, you know, there's no uh, class distinction with regards to what the initials are after your name, you know. And uh, and so, like I said, you know, accessibility has always been... uh, an argument brought forth because I think the the lay public and legislators, which you know may not fully comprehend the full perspective of healthcare and eye care, uh, you know will understand that. So obviously, as you're trying to advance your agenda, you have to you know present your argument in such a way that's that's articulate and understood by a group of people that are outside so you know, of your profession. So let's bring it to now. Here you are. Um, you got this really robust CE offering that has really caught fire over the country. You've been to many state associations and schools teaching lasers and uh, minor surgical procedures for the optometric profession. And now you've started a group, a society, uh, an association, if you will. And, uh, you know, it looks like there's even, you know, fellowship distinction, you know, that you're providing and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yes, so we're, we're tell evolving. me about that. Where yeah, did that we are come from? Whose idea was it and what is the goal? Well, um, about three going... F- Maybe four years ago, uh, we had a meeting in Charlotte. Um, in fact, NBEO. we had a meeting at the the National Board of Exam. Yeah, NBEO was kind enough to, okay. to loan us some space, 
And that, that meeting really evolved over years of me running into people telling me, you know, I, I heard you lecture, I took your course, I, I, you know, I, I took the NSU course or I took some other course. Um, you know, where else can we get some training? Uh, and or uh, some of my uh, educational colleagues from other schools and residency programs you know, contacting me and, and saying, you know, we ought to get together periodically and, and, and just talk and have, you know, a blue sky session and, and, and just, you know, in very informal way, uh, you know, network with each other so that we can support each other. Um, well, you know, every, every year I'd run into somebody like that at, at a, you know, convention or, or, you know, a weekend seminar somewhere and, and oh, yeah, what a great idea. And, and then nothing would happen. And then the next year, the same thing, you know, yeah, what a great idea. And uh, so I don't know what happened three years ago. I, I think there was an eclipse that year. Okay, so <laughs> I, bl I blame it on the eclipse. Okay, something happened, the stars aligned. <laughs> okay, and uh, well, what actually happened was I was at an MBO committee meeting and the same sort of discussion happened amongst some of the committee members and uh, the uh, director, NBEO director, Dr. Jill Bryant, was, was very, uh, uh, I, I would say that she, you know, she was very um, open to allowing us to get together in her space there. And she was uh, very generous in offering a meeting place and to where, where this could happen. And uh, so I sent out letters, you know, and I, re I remember thinking, well, that room can hold maybe 15 people. Uh, so I just started inviting people. And I said, well, the first 15 that say yes, you know, I'll stop there. So I started sending out emails to colleagues at other optometry schools. And I was, I was focused on optometry schools at this time. Well, it, the, the 15 filled up very quickly. And we weren't actually, I didn't invite them to form a surgical society. I invited them just to have some frank discussion on how we could support each other with, a, with regards to advanced procedures, surgery, lasers, office anesthesia, and you know, whatever they wanted to talk about. Um, well, you know, the, the space filled up, not only filled up, but uh, I found myself mm. begging for more space because... <laughs> You know, some, some programs didn't just want to send one. You know, I had limited it to an invitation, as far as the invitation, to one per program, and some wanted to send two. Uh, you know, one, one of our colleague schools in the Caribbean cool. wanted to send three, I think. Um, but anyway, that was, that was how it started, and, and we didn't begin the meeting with the intention of forming a surgical society, but by the end of the meeting, uh, the American Society of Optometric Surgeons ASOS uh, had sort of gelled and uh, right, ASOS, yes, and uh, so the, I, I'm going to say that that was the brainchild, not myself, but you know, of maybe 22 uh, educators, and and we also had some state association leaders there, um, you know, that all contributed and brainstormed, and that was I essentially love it. I how think, this you know, evolved. What, what I hear being involved in legislative affairs in the state of Pennsylvania often from legislators is, you know, we we just we're involved in legislative stuff right now, um, and we were looking to get injections. I might have said that already. And so, you know, the big thing was, well, can you do them? Like, did you learn how to do them? How many did you do? Like. 
It's like, no, we, we didn't because we can't. <laughs> you know, we did learn it in school. We did. But, mm-hmm. you know, and I even passed the, the boards part. Yes. You know, we had the injections on boards and I passed that. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I haven't done 100 of them because we can't. You know, you don't get that. You know what I mean? So, Yes. Well, yeah, and, and that, is, that is something that I, I have heard a lot. I still hear a lot. My response to that is, uh, you know, in medical school, we, we don't do, students don't do surgery on patients. You know, in medical school, you know, a lot of what we get is conceptual. You know, in the first two years, you're sitting in a classroom. So you get a lot of conceptual, you know, didactic know-how. Um, and then we progress to wet labs, um, yeah. much like we do in optometry school. Um, so you would be surprised, I, I guess, at the, uh, you know, I don't want to say the lack of real world experience, but just, you know, the, what medical school really gives you, you know, is a, a conceptual foundation. It gives you the opportunity to uh, experience or, or to survey right. the different subspecialties within medicine and, and, and to basically, you know, figure out what you want to do <laughs> yeah. when you grow up. I mean, that was, that was my medical school experience. You know, medical school, and I've said this before, much to the chagrin of, of the medical establishment, but to the applause of uh, optometry, medical school doesn't really get you entry level ready for anything. You know, that, that's why there's residency. Medical school, to me, again, uh, established some primary care basics that are common to what most medical graduates are going to go into, which is primary care. You know, most medical schools, uh, are, you know, are run by family medicine or internal medicine, you know, primary care, because that's where most graduates are going. And, and medical school is, is very strange, or, or to me... You know, it was very strange that some things were totally neglected. Some things you got very little of, like like eye care, ophthalmology. I, I think I had Crazy. two days, you know, uh, in yeah. four years of actual ophthalmology. But look at it this way. You know, you have 100 people. Let's just make it easy. 100, 100 students entering medical school on day one. You know, at the end, when they cross go across that stage and, and get their diploma, they're probably going off in 100 different directions. You know, there, there are, I think I... I counted, there are something like 120 plus or minus different subspecialties yeah. within the field of medicine. So as a school, how can you prepare, you know, someone when there is that yeah. sort of diversity Makes at sense. the end? You know, you, you go with what most of them are likely to go into, right. but you can't cover everything. Now take 100 optometry students that, you know, matriculate on day one. When they walk across the stage at the end of four years, I know where every single one of those is going. They're going to be eye doctors, you know. So if I knew on day one, if I was a medical school dean and I knew on day one that every one of those students are going to be pediatricians or every one of those students are going to be psychiatrists, medical school would be much, much different than what it is today. You know, at least as far as the curriculum, it would be more like optometry school which is a specialty so looking forward now with this society in place now you have some support some industry support you're putting on webinars in this covid age i think it's allowed for more uh webinars to be sponsored and produced and listened to we we've yeah. all become <laughs> expert at yeah. Zoom. That on so, your resume as well like, yes subline what's the goal yeah. what's the what's the goal here what are you trying to do well 
again, you know, the goal has always to to been to uh, form a network of uh, interested participants, you know, and that would include optometrists, educators, and industry professionals uh, to identify resources, you know, that can be shared amongst all the stakeholders, uh, you know, to provide for better education and better patient care. Um, you know, one thing that, that we have in ophthalmology, we have in medicine, we, we do have, you know, this network. Um, and when, uh, you know, when I get together with my ophthalmology colleagues, and yes, uh, there are still some that, that will talk to me. <laughs> when I get together, when I get together, you know, with, with my group, uh, you know, we don't, we don't talk about, hey, what, what, what journal have you read? You know, what textbook have you read? You know, we get together and we have frank discussions like, hey, uh, how'd you mess up? And, and, and what happened? And how do I keep it from happening to me? You know, we, we talk about things that you're not necessarily going to read about or, or, or see. And, and I call that uh, anecdotal education. Okay. And that's really how <laughs> one of the ways that you develop as a surgeon. You know, a surgeon is a, is, a surgery is a, a specialty that really doesn't translate well off, off the printed page. You know, uh, it is a science, but it is also an art. Um, you know, you're taught by uh, people that have mastered the craft. And, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, experience, uh, you know, a lot of uh, skill transfer uh, that is hard, again, to, uh, for you to lift off of a printed page or you know, out of a textbook. So we have these networks in medicine. Uh, we don't so much yet in optometry. And that's one of the things that I really hope to accomplish, you know, with this society is just to develop that sort of infrastructure where doctors that you know may not have any experience and yet still need some place to go to ask questions like hey where do i start you know i'm interested in this where do i begin you know what what about these instruments versus those instruments you know where can i go to learn this specific procedure or that specific procedure um we we need to develop that sort of network that is populated by people that actually do do this for a living, you know, that can give that sort of experiential knowledge that is, you're not really going to get out been, of a textbook. This has been fantastic. Um, I really, really appreciate you, you know, first of all, quickly responding to my email. You didn't know me from Adam and uh, you, you uh, responded so graciously and I could tell, you know, that that's just the type of guy you are. You're willing to share your passion and love for this field of eye care, whether it's ophthalmology or optometry or just taking care of the, the person in front of you, their whole, their whole person. And I, I really, really, really appreciate it. How can people learn more about ASOS? Well, we, we do have a website, um, and we are putting on quite a few webinars as of late. You know, we have a series, Luminous, I might add, you mentioned Luminous earlier, was generous enough to sponsor a series Great. of six webinars. So I think we're on, we're on number four now, um, and th those will run through mid-November. So you can actually go to uh, the ASOS we'll website, which is uh, our show notes for everyone to check out, too. Yeah, odslt.com, and that stands actually for odsurgeryandlasertraining.com. Oh, cool. And uh, you can see what's up, what we're doing, uh, when the next webinar is. These, these series of six, by the way, are open to anyone. Um, you, do not, you do not have to be an ASOS member. You know, we invite you to register. 
And uh, if you can't attend live and you register, you'll be able to download or view the recordings later on. So, uh, you know, we invite anyone that has an interest to participate live and participate in the discussion at the end. You know, we do have some Q&A at the end. And if you can't watch it live but still want to uh, see what we're about or see, uh, you know, what the particular uh, topic uh, that uh, we're talking about that night entails, uh, you know, feel, feel free and, and uh, consider yourselves uh, invited. Um, next year, well, depending on how things go, uh, the plan is to continue a series of webinars. This year, the theme was or is lasers. Next year, it's going to be Ooh. office surgery and anesthesia. Um, and hopefully, sometime next year, we can resume our live meetings. You know, we've had about three uh, yearly meetings uh, right there in Charlotte again at the MBO office where we try to hold some skills transfer workshops. Uh, so if, if uh, all uh, works out uh, the way we all hope it will, maybe we can Love resume it. those next summer. And those actually are for members. So uh, membership actually uh, gets you uh, access, and, and we don't charge for those workshops then. If you're a member and you can get to the town, uh, you've got cool. a seat well, at I the will table. be there. I am a member, a proud ASOS member. Oh, right. Well, you have, <laughs> you have right. your That's golden right. ticket then. And we perfect, will be reserving perfect. your spot. I encourage all of our listeners <laughs> to check it out. Reach out to Dr. Castillo and thank him for all of his gracious uh, time he shared with us and all of his work he's done to advance our profession. Thank you so much again, Dr. Castillo, and we will talk soon. Thank you for the invitation and, and good night. Thank you. Well, that's it. Before we go, reach out to us for feedback, questions, stories, things you want us to talk about, either through our email or on our Instagram or Facebook. We never depart without saying thanks to Valley Contacts for their support, both the amazing lenses they make and the great people they are to work with. And be sure and tune in and listen to our next episode. But until then, try not to blink.